If you want more from Dee and her sister and partner in crime, Rhonda, check out Switchblade Sisters Social Club, a true crime podcast where two sisters exploit their worst fears for your entertainment. You're welcome. You're listening to We Knew the Moon with Dee Safier, an empath who started a podcast to explore the universe, spirituality, and all things witchy woo-woo. Don't forget to check out the website, wenewthemoon.co.uk for all your I do what I want and the moon made me do it merch, whichever excuse you prefer to use for all of your life choices. Hi everyone, this is Dee and this is the We Knew The Moon podcast. We are the official podcast of the Goddess Temple Twickenham, which is super exciting. Check out the website, goddesstempletwickenham.org to see our upcoming events. This is the second episode where I've got Safia Amer joining me today. Hello! Hello! So good to be back. (laughs) We had so much fun last time talking about sound (laughs) healing which I picked because you are a music therapist. And so I thought it would be a really fun topic to do with you. And I learned a lot doing the research. I learned a lot from you. So that was super exciting. And tip of that episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, was to go and check out Solfeggio on Spotify, on um, SoundCloud or YouTube, wherever you listen to music, it can help improve your mood and potentially help repair your DNA, which pretty cool. Extremely cool. Extremely cool. <laughs> I'm going to put all of your details again in the, in the um, show notes. So if anyone wants to get in touch with Safia for any music therapy needs, she's amazing. As I mentioned last time, she did a lot of work with my sister's twins. It was just amazing the impact that it had. The amount of confidence that it instilled in them. And Rio, the one who's like pre-verbal, is so musical, isn't she? She loves singing and dancing and so forth. So it was such a privilege to work with her. <laughs> it was. Yeah. They are super cute. I know I'm biased, but they are super cute. <laughs> no, they are. They are. <laughs> so yeah, that's how our paths recrossed, because we had met before working in the same building, but for different organizations. Small world lovely to have you back. Now, the topic that you are covering kind of come off the bat of previous episode with my sister, who obviously you know, because she is the mother of the aforementioned twins. She covered psychic mediums. She did cover a little bit on like spiritual fakes and tricks that can be used. Darren Brown is one key example of someone who likes to expose these different tricks and so forth. And so we thought it'd be really fun to do another episode specifically on spiritual fakes. Yes. I have to ask you, where do you stand (laughs) in terms of whether psychics exist? I don't know. That's a hard one for me to answer. I think I've grown increasingly skeptical. I don't think that they don't exist. I think I'm more aware and concerned about the harmful effects of it. I think we're on the same page here. We talked, me and my sister, about our favorite psychic, Glenn. <laughs> and I've talked about him on this podcast as well. Which I need to meet Glenn. <laughs> he charges very reasonably. So you can't say that he's like taking advantage financially. And the stuff he comes out with, of course, there's a lot of stuff that you could argue is generic or could apply to many people. But then there's some stuff that you're like, no, how did you know mm. that? Loads of stuff that even I didn't know about my own background and my family because I hadn't met those family members or they passed away when I was young or before I was born. And I had to actually check, fact check with my parents and stuff. How? How does he do that? And we we talked about, is it that they pick up on stuff that you can't understand? 
Is it that they're just super intuitive? Glenn talks through his spirit guides. Is that a thing that's actually possible? I don't know. But the one thing that we definitely know is that sadly, there are a lot of fakes. The fact that there are fakes, it doesn't mean that there aren't real people. We're just specifically talking today about fakes. It is worrying, isn't it? Because they often are in a position to take advantage of very vulnerable people emotionally and maybe physically health-wise and so forth that are seeking their help. No, exactly. And I think um, I've I've only had an experience actually once of, of one tarot reader. A friend of mine recommended, I was sort of sat on the fence and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it for entertainment and to see how it goes. But I thought what was very interesting was the woman that I had gone to actually said, this is for entertainment purposes. Ooh. Yeah. And I thought that was really responsible of her because she wasn't saying I'm a fake. She wasn't saying that she didn't have psychic abilities, but she was clearly protecting herself in case she, I I guess there's the dangers of you tell people something and they act on it. It has consequences. But I found with that experience, she said rather generic things. I think the one thing she said that really sort of spooked me, my grandma died, what, I think six years ago. And she, before she died, she was doing research about the family history. So I had in my room, the book that she was going through family history. And this woman said something about there's an older person that has passed that wants you to carry on the research or the book. But then they do say generic things like, oh, I'm getting the feel of a presence of an older older person, maybe a granddad, and I can smell polos. And I thought, I don't know why I always associated that most grandparents, at least in England, would have like a pack of polos or something. <laughs> so I was like, well, this could be anyone. <laughs> yeah. But then also, not everything that happens to you is going to be so specific. It only ever happened to you. Exactly. For some of the generic stuff, it could be true. Yes. We've mentioned on the past episode that Glenn is so specific that it freaked us the fuck out. Mm. So Glenn put a spanner in the works in that before I met Glenn, I would have thought that most psychics are just super, super intuitive and clever at picking up things subconsciously or that we're subconsciously giving off. And, you know, maybe that is a psychic power. Maybe that is a level of like psychic intuition that is beyond most of us. I wonder as well. I think that for some people they do. Yeah, I can't say for sure, but certainly thinking about the experience you had with Glenn, there must be some people that have those abilities. But I think there are some people that are just very perceptive. They pick up on things like body language. They're very socially clever. Whether there are psychics that are real or not, it definitely is for sure that there are a lot of people that are taking advantage. So that is what we are interested. I think it's useful to be able to pick up on on that as much as possible. I often say that to my therapy friends, I feel like we bring a therapy perspective to a lot of aspects of life. And I've just accepted I can't help but do that now. But I do, I think, look at it from a perspective of a therapist as well. I think before I trained to be a therapist... Especially like my early 20s, experiencing, feeling a bit lost, anxiety, unprocessed stuff. I felt very drawn to spiritual ideas and spiritual things. But I think since I've trained to be a therapist, not sort of positioning myself as above anyone or anything, I feel like I've got a deeper understanding of mental health issues, health issues, and just taking more of a critical approach. Because I do think a lot of people who are drawn to these things, not always, but even just reflecting on my own experience. They're seeking something. They're seeking something they could be going through and tend to be going through a painful experience in life. I mean, if you're trying to reach out to the spirit world, that implies that you've got some unresolved issues with someone who's passed. 
And that is something that is very common, you know, when we suffer loss, right? That we have unanswered questions and we're in a particularly vulnerable state of mind. So it's not a surprise that those people that are seeking these services are vulnerable and therefore easily manipulated. I guess my, I would say my concern or my perspective of it is, when does someone need professional help? Right. When do they need to go and see a therapist, whether it's a psychotherapist, a music therapist, a cognitive behavioral therapist, an art therapist, whatever it is, when do they need to have medication as well? It's interesting to think like, what is the role of these psychics in terms of referring people onto these other services? And one thing that made me really, really fall in love with Glenn as a psychic even more is that um, he was telling me about one of his clients and no names mentioned, obviously. Mm-hmm was that he was very concerned with her. So he referred her back to her GP to go and seek some professional help in that capacity, which I thought was a very good indicator. That's brilliant. Uh, So responsible. Right. So Mm -hmm. responsible. Got no real duty to do that apart from a moral. No. No, it was just a really good sign that he was one that accept where his specialization lays and where his limitations are and when someone needs to go get the professional help. So I guess that's where your interest has come into it from this understanding of different kinds of therapies and ways to get help, I suppose. Yeah, I I think it's also my own personal journey with it, because I think, as I said, when I was younger, I would be more drawn to spiritual ideas and new age spiritualism kind of things. And then when I trained to be a therapist, part of training to be a therapist, you have to go for your own personal therapy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case for all trainings, but certainly for music therapy, you do. And I think from that experience, I developed a more, a deeper understanding of myself, my own issues. And we all have them. (laughs) Right. I mean, you're not human if you don't. (laughs) In our last episode together, we talked very much about how we're pro medicine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, and I remember when I was training to be a therapist, I was reading this some studies about, or was it when I was doing psychology? I can't remember, but we were looking at different treatments for depression or anxiety. I can't remember. I think there was like studies comparing mindfulness interventions to antidepressants or talking therapy. I'm not going to quote the study because I can't remember, but what I got from that was most evidence suggested that the most effective interventions are a combination of both. So if you need to take medication, take medication, that's not going to solve everything. There's other things. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be just as effect, uh, more effective if you're in talking therapy as well, or whatever therapy, you know. I am in, I have my weekly therapy session, and I think it's super important to normalize that. It's not that normalized in the UK, you know, to seek kind of professional help with your mental health issues. It's getting more mm. talked about, but it's still a little bit taboo. So I think it's super important. That's why I always talk about it. You know, get therapy. Like it's fucking amazing. It's fucking amazing. Absolutely. I love it because I get to sit there and talk about myself for an hour <laughs> uninterrupted. <laughs> it's your space. Yeah, <laughs> and I get to like process it. And it's so important because... I'm lucky because I have friends, right? I have lots of people when I tell them I'm, I do counseling, they're like, oh, but I've got friends to talk to, whatever. But this is different. Like if I talk to my friends about my problems, some things automatically happen. I downplay certain things. I'm not fully honest with them because I don't want them to worry or I don't want them to have like a negative opinion of my partner who they then will have to go out and hang out with socially, you know? And also the main important thing is like, I sugarcoat everything because I don't want them to leave that conversation feeling worried about me, anxious about me or judging me. Not that I think my friends would, but you do talk differently about your problems. Whereas in counseling, you can just let it all out, ugly self and all, right? 
Yeah. And I, I actually, that's really, I think what you've really highlighted there is there is, I don't know if it's right to say there's a culture, but there's something there where people don't want to leave other people feeling almost infected by their emotions. Yeah. But a therapist should be trained to be able to sit with that yeah. and to help the person process it. And, you know, the whole concept of transference, counter-transference, all these psychodynamic terms. But I think there is still a stigma around seeking help and therapy. Yep. And I love this toxic positivity. Oh, especially in the spiritual world with all this good vibes only and whatever. It's fucking bullshit. It's so bullshit. You're not going to be good vibes only all the time. Of course, we want to get to a state of good vibes much of the time, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with having a difficult time. And like you said in the last episode, anger is healthy and yeah, sometimes you're going to feel down and whatever. And yeah, to, to just have someone that's your person that's unrelated from every other element of your life. So you don't have to worry about them meeting your partner or your friends or your family, whoever it is that you need to have a little whinge about is <laughs> so good. And also not having to worry because they're a professional with how they're going to react to what you're saying. You're not worried about making them feel down or stressing them out or worrying them because that's what you're there for. Absolutely. Can't advocate it enough, really. Yeah. I, as I say, like, I can't help but approach this topic from a therapist's perspective. And I think, don't know if you can necessarily say that this is because of this, you know, culture of new age spiritualism, but I do think it feeds into people being afraid to experience negative emotions. It's promoting ideas that are essentially very disconnected from the real nature of life. The real nature of life isn't just good things. And what I think the, the best thing for people to, well, for me, this is what I've learned, not, I can't speak for everyone, is to seek balance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not just extreme happiness because... That's unrealistic. I get annoyed if I'm around someone that's happy all the time. Oh my God, what is wrong with them? Or what are they on and where can I get some? Yeah. So much easier is life when you just accept that there are times where you're going to be angry and times when you're going to be sad and times when you're going to be hurt or jealous or all of these negative emotions and just instead focusing on how to handle them and deal with them in a healthy way rather than letting yeah. them take over because trying to deny them, just not realistic. And we have a whole episode on shadow work in season oh, two. God. But yeah, we talk about that a lot. Like it's just unrealistic to expect yourself not to have these emotions. Yeah. You should almost be told the minute you're born, this is the real nature of it. You'll be happier if you accept it. Yeah. Because what happens when we have those emotions that we are trying to avoid, we then beat ourselves up for having them or we try to suppress them and then come out in other ways. All right. And, and that's why I feel like it's really important if anyone is going to seek spiritual guidance or to, I don't know, to speak to a psychic. I think it's also to be honest and aware why you're doing it. Have you got unprocessed grief there? Is there something you're really struggling to accept in life? Is there a denial going on? I'm not saying denial is bad. Psychological defenses are there because we need them. But to what extent does it become pathological? And then could you then walk into a not great situation with a spiritual fake, which I'll go into a bit later, where it can actually turn quite abusive and toxic and scary? One of the problems I have with this area whether the person is a real psychic or not, is that they don't have any of the training, formal training, in terms of dealing with clients in vulnerable situations. Mm. So whether they're real or not, they're going to have a lot of the similar things that like psychologists and music therapists and all of these have to deal with. Like you mentioned, transference and counter-transference. Psychologists, counselors, psychiatrists, they all have to have their own therapy while they're treating patients. 
psychics don't have to do that. They haven't had the training in that. They don't have that in the most part, which is dangerous, isn't it? Those are systems put in place to protect client, therapist. Absolutely. And actually, when I was researching the topic, one of the things I thought of was the concept of the wounded healer. Ooh, I love that. I never heard that term, but I instantly understand it because it's my belief that so many people go into these things because they're seeking their own answers first. And that's where their interest initially. Yeah, lived. I will absolutely be open and honest. That was my interest. That was the reason I got into therapy. And no judgment there. I mean, there's always going to be a reason why you go into whatever profession. Exactly. I don't know for sure where the concept originates from. I believe it was first described in psychology. I could be wrong, but I think it was first described by Carl Jung. And it's well, it's definitely a concept that is heavily associated with Jung. And when I started uh, reading more about um, psychology, I fell in love with Jung. I know. I'm obsessed with him as well. It, again, in the Shadow Work yeah. episode, talk about him a lot and the archetypes and so forth, personality archetypes. He's just amazing. Absolutely. He used this concept of, you know, the wounded healer to describe psychoanalysts. But I think now that could be applied to therapists generally Mm -hmm. who had chosen to go into clinical practice because of their own psychological wounds. I truly believe that at the moment I'm training to be a vocal psychotherapist, which is heavily informed by depth psychology, you know, and Jung. And that's come up a lot as well. Most people go into them because they have a wound. What scares me about the spiritual world or can I call them spiritual charlatans? I love the word charlatan. Yes, we need to use the word charlatan more often. Spiritual charlatans or fakes is if you are potentially, say I'm selling myself as a psychic or a tarot reader, if I've potentially got someone on the other end of the line that's suicidal or I don't know, basically a very vulnerable person. With red flags, let's call them red flags. Red flags, right. And then I'm, I'm not aware of my stuff. I could make that situation worse. Say you have an unmet need. And then that manifests in it a need to always be wanted or needed. So then you want to keep someone coming back to you. I mean, the idea is in therapy is that you're, you're there to meet the client's needs. And that's why we have supervision and personal therapy so that we're not using our clients in the wrong way. Checks and balances to make sure that everyone is protected. Or rather I should say not using your clients at all to meet your needs. There's lots to be criticized and to be said about the therapy psychology profession. It's not perfect, but Just the fact that having gone through that training and practice as a therapist myself, that's what's changed my view of these like spiritual leaders, because I'm like, what checks and balances have you gone through? What reflection have you gone through? And you're claiming to be this divine character or this divine person, not saying that they're not. Even if they are genuinely have psychic abilities or abilities that are helpful to to others and whatever, the fact that they haven't had this training or these practices in place is is worrying because that's a lot on the on the psychic exactly and and just to say so the whole the concept of the wounded healer isn't to condemn someone for having wounds the whole idea is that they they actually they use their woundedness to promote healing and empathetic understanding it's a lovely concept it's why people who have suffered want to go and on to help other people who are struggling with similar things it's lovely yeah but it's because of that awareness that that happens that all of these systems have been put in place. Exactly. And and I think the other thing as well, when I was researching this topic, the idea also of the wounded healer is that you go through your own recovery or your own healing, whatever you want to call it, that you're then able to walk alongside your clients, Mm -hmm. but you're not positioning yourself above them. 
you're not positioning yourself above them. You're not superior. You can use self-disclosure carefully to help their process. Yeah, I, I guess having had that experience and going through that, I look at some of these, I'd say spiritual fakes or, or abusive spiritual figures. And I'm just like, this is scary. <laughs> this is scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just to be clear, I don't reject spirituality, spiritualism. In fact, that's why I went into music therapy, because I think I actually feel quite a spiritual experience, like listening to music, playing to music. That's why I went into it, because I, I worried if I went into just talking therapy, not just, but, you know, talking therapy, it would become very cognitive for me. It's just, I guess, just being aware of the uh, spiritual fakes. I think it's useful maybe to talk about why people are drawn to um, spiritual fakes to understand how they then get manipulated. So I've touched on a little bit about vulnerability. I think that they're usually preying on people that are vulnerable, as I think I said before, in a lot of pain. I think unprocessed trauma is a big one. People who have experienced or are experiencing tragic life events, loneliness, that need for social connection, depression, people who are looking for a way to fulfill the need for human connection. I think that's the other thing. People who are seeking absolute truths, answers, not being able to really sit with difficult emotions and difficult realities of life. And then that, I think, leads into confirmation bias. So if you hold a really strong belief or in some cases, a delusion, you're seeking out information to support that. So basically anything that is said that plays into that narrative, yeah, we'll take that on and then dismiss anything that doesn't support what you want to believe. Whether that belief is true or false is obviously a different, <laughs> a totally different issue. Yeah. And I think we all do it to an extent. No judgment. Been there, done that. Probably still doing it. <laughs> I think people who are vulnerable to it, also people that are finding it really hard to accept the difficult truth. Yeah. They're in denial. They're searching for information to confirm what they really want to hear rather than the truth whatever that may be. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, how much nicer is it to think if we've lost someone that they are still around us to some capacity, looking after us, looking over us. Yeah. Instead of, oh, they're just, they just don't. Nothingness. It's scary. Right. It's scary. Yeah. If we've lost someone, it's scary to think of them like that. It's scary to think that that will inevitably happen to us. Lots of reasons why we want to hear that these people are around us and watching us and so forth. Exactly. I sort of touched on it briefly, but like un- unresolved trauma. So that sort of disconnect between the mind, body, authentic self. Yeah, I think those people are particularly vulnerable to spiritual fakes. One of my favorite trauma therapists, Gabor Mate, he actually spoke about spiritual bypassing. I heard him on a podcast speaking about meditation and he was talking about, you know, people, you know, they sit on the cushion to achieve these states of serenity. However, they can't actually integrate the trauma that they've experienced or difficult life events. And rather than working on integrating that, which requires being with it and working through it, they have to keep coming back to the cushion to meditate, trying to escape, trying to escape from something. You're trying to flee from something, essentially fleeing from reality, the mind-body connection. And again, no judgment because working on your shadow side and trauma is fucking hard, isn't it? I mean, it often means reliving all of these emotions that you've been trying to avoid. It's hard, but it's necessary, isn't it? So I think if you have a tendency, and I I guess we all do to an extent to to engage in spiritual bypassing, (laughs) 
essentially, you know, explaining away difficult emotions, traumas, instead of working on integrating it, I'd imagine that would make you quite susceptible to these characters. Charlatan. Oh, characters. That's another good word. Characters or the charlatans. I just wanted to touch on spiritual bypassing because I think it is a big Mm. part of, of this. So psychologist John Wellwood coined the term spiritual bypassing to refer to the use of spiritual practices and beliefs to avoid confronting uncomfortable feelings, unresolved wounds and fundamental emotional and psychological needs. According to integral psychotherapist Robert Augustus Masters, spiritual bypassing causes us to withdraw from ourselves and others to hide behind a kind of spiritual veil of metaphysical beliefs and practices. He says it not only distances us from our pain and difficult personal issues, but also from our own authentic spirituality. Stranding us in a metaphysical limbo, a zone of exaggerated gentleness, niceness and superficiality. So that bullshit of good vibes only. Yes, And it's why I appreciate people that can express healthy anger. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If you find yourself, I'm going to be, is this controversial? If you find yourself in a circle of friends or whatever, where you're not allowed to express when you're having a shit time, find other people to hang out with. I don't think that's controversial. I think that's good advice. Not saying you've got to be a Debbie Downer all the time. No one likes that person either. If you're having a shit time, fucking say you're having the shit time. Yeah, I think that's the misconception of it, that if you're not uh, skipping and smiling all the time, then you're a Debbie Downer. I mean, yes, there are Debbie Downers, <laughs> which are hard to be around. I love that phrase. This is just about being very real. And being able to say if you're struggling with something. And I think it's so important to be able to talk about that. And the more you talk about it, the more other people around you will feel comfortable. And then, like we said, we'll normalize seeking help and talking about your difficulties. You'll be able to find more support because I noticed this in particular with my partner who struggles with anxiety and a lot of issues and the typical male thing of not being able to talk about his feelings, right? And he he was working in a very tradesman laddie environment as well, which didn't help. But now that he feels a little bit more comfortable talking about when he's struggling with things emotionally and so forth, he finds that most of the time the people he opens up to are like, oh yeah, me too. They're probably relieved. Right. And then they have a dialogue and they can actually talk about it. Exactly. The relief of being able to be honest with your friend and then your friend having an outlet to talk to you too. It's just beautiful to watch, actually. (laughs) I always think back to that, the very pretentious book, but also quite important book, A Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield. He talks about, I think it's the opening scene where he talks, the opening scene, is that what it's called in a book? The opening lines where he's talking about being in a field full of people and feeling Mm. lonely. Exactly. You can be absolutely surrounded, but just not being heard or listened to. And that was actually um, when I studied psychology before my therapy training, one of our lecturers was, he must've been a, a therapist. And he said, you will be surprised at the amount of people that will pay you because they have no one else to listen that will listen to them, which is just heartbreaking, actually. It's just so sad. I think also understanding spiritual fakes is also understanding the cultures in which we live in, the stigma around mental health, mm-hmm. the fact that people do feel they can't open up about things because they're going to get branded as negative. I have had less people react weirdly to me saying that I've seen a psychic than to me saying I have weekly therapy. Isn't that weird and shit? Yeah, it is shit. And it makes me think that we, we are talking so much about mental health. And I'm not saying progress hasn't been made, but I still feel there's a lot. There's a lot of progress to be made. I'm shocked at how much we talk about mental health in society today. And especially with like more awareness around men's mental health, particularly. Yeah. yeah. And yet people are still shocked when you tell them that you're seeing a therapist. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of uh, 
toxic stuff that has come up of me and my therapist, one of my therapist friends laugh about Instagram therapists is it's okay to be on Instagram. But I mean, the, what we mean is that people reading snippets of information and yeah. that that's sufficient enough rather than seeking help when you need it. I wanted to just say just one more thing about spiritual bypassing. So Robert August Masters goes on to say that aspects of spiritual bypassing include exaggerated attachment, emotional numbing and repression, overemphasis on the positive, my, my favorite, not anger phobia, oh, mm-hmm. uh, blind or overly tolerant compassion, weak or too porous boundaries, lopsided development, debilitating judgment about one's negativity or shadow side, devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual and delusions of having arrived at a higher level of being. I think we've all done it to a certain extent, but I think it's really interesting because it makes me question about the spiritual fakes. Are they just engaging in extreme spiritual bypassing? Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Are the fakes, do they know they're fake? Well, I will give an example of one of the, the spiritual, I think he can be classified as a spiritual fake. So I was looking into Bikram, Bikram Chowdhury. Yep. So Bikram is, I'm sure we all know hot yoga. I think there's a documentary on Netflix at the moment about him. I have. Yes, I've seen that. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yes. I mean, he's one creepy fucker. And there's a reason why you don't see Bikram yoga anymore. It's all changed to hot yoga. Has it all changed to hot yoga? Mm hmm. Ah. that used to be called Bikram yoga, blah, blah, blah. Because for those that don't know, hot yoga just means yoga in a hot place. Bikram yoga was in a hot room, but a very specific series of poses that he invented or coordinated or whatever the word is. I used to do Bikram yoga a lot when I wow. did one and it was absolutely fucking amazing. I got so flexible. You leave a hot Bikram, a Bikram session feeling like you have a ma- you've had a massage which is pretty cool when you exercise because normally I'm used to finishing my exercise feeling fucking sore all over. Mm -hmm. So I loved it. I haven't actually been back to a hot yoga place since, since shit hit the fan for him, which I'm assuming you're going to go into a bit of details, (laughs) but yeah, they've all changed their names. Now you won't see a Bikram yoga anymore. They've all changed their name to hot yoga or whatever. He is in I would say interesting. I don't mean it in the actual definition of interesting. (laughs) He is a charlatan. So he um, used a strategic combination of psychological manipulation and professional intimidation. And he made sure that he was viewed by everyone as a veritable God capable of providing the keys to health, happiness and transcendence. I find that very, again, I keep, I overuse the word interesting, but I think that just bearing in mind what makes people susceptible Mm -hmm. to spiritual fakes the fact that he was selling himself as this kind of, you know, I, if you follow me and what I do, you're, you are going to reach health, happiness, transcendence. And I think I, when I watched the uh, the Netflix documentary, he said something, but he was very angry. No one is as spiritual or whatever as I am. And blah, blah, blah. Well, now let me talk a bit more about some of the tactics he used. He kind of developed over time, like a lot of like cult. Yeah. Movies, huh? It seemed like they're testing the boundaries. That's it. More and more extreme as they are able to get away with things. He felt like very much that kind of guy. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I think one of the things he was promoting was dehydration and not, not sleeping, right? Yeah, which, I mean, that's cult 101. So if you've worn someone down that much psychologically and physically, I mean, I don't know about you, I can't really function without sleep. And then the verbal abuse, he was using verbal abuse in, in classes mm-hmm. uh, and then the very ugly things that came up about the sexual advances 
well, essentially rape. Yeah, let's call a spade a spade. He was a dirty rapist. A dirty rapist, exactly. So he's selling himself as this spiritual enlightened human being. But actually, he's a narcissist who likes the spotlight. He likes being at the front and center of attention. Even when I was watching the video about his sessions, he's singing. It was just so me, me, me. It's the Bikram show. It's the Bikram show. And the fact that he had, I mean, all those cars, all that money, which is fine. I, I you know, if that's what someone wants, but uh, isn't that a bit of a contradiction? Yeah. And when you're expecting your followers or disciples or whatever weird term they decide to use, when you're expecting them to say no to that sort of material wealth and possessions, but yet you're quite often appropriating their wealth and their possessions and then using it to buy your own like fancy cars, eh, red flags. Massive, massive red flags. And I think actually it's just worth really highlighting what is narcissistic personality disorder. I know Mm -hmm. it's not what this is about. We love it. We talked about it very briefly with my sister in the cult episode, because this is is where like spiritual fakes and cults kind of overlap. Yeah. It would be great to have someone who actually understands it a lot more to, to, to talk about it. I'm just looking at the DSM definition of it. What's the DSM? So the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Right. Used by mental health professionals to diagnose various mental illnesses. But it is controversial for many reasons. The DSM-5 defines narcissistic personality disorder as a personality disorder with a long-term pattern of abnormal behavior characterized by exaggerated feelings of self-importance an excessive need for admiration and a lack of empathy. People affected by it often spend a lot of time thinking about achieving power or success or about their appearance. So some of the symptoms is grandiosity with expectations of superior treatment from other people, fixated on fantasies of power, success, intelligence, attractiveness, self-perception of being unique, superior, and associated with high status people in institutions, needing continual admiration from others, a sense of entitlement to special treatment and to obedience from others, exploitative of others to achieve personal gain, unwilling to empathize with the feelings, wishes and needs of other people, intensely envious of others, pompous and arrogant demeanor. I love the word pompous. I found that really useful to read and hold in mind when considering these characters because for example Bikram because I think he falls more into that than say a spiritual person oh for sure for sure I don't know whether you could be have narcissistic personality disorder and also be spiritual I don't want to exclude them because if you have such a disorder you can do things to mitigate it and maybe that involves some sort of spiritual journey yes But yes, in this case, he's not looking for spiritual enlightenment or anything like that, is he? The red flags there are the need for this feeling of superiority to be served. Yeah. And to be okay with manipulating other people. And having personal gains from it. Yeah. I think when I was listening to Gabor Mate, I always bring everything back to him. I also love him. Young and and Gabor Mate. Brilliant, right? I was listening to him talking about these I don't know if he was classifying it as spiritual fakes. He was talking more about spiritual bypassing. And he said that it's not that these people don't hold the you know wisdom or the ability to teach. He actually described this behavior as spiritual bypassing. He said that we all engage in spiritual bypassing to a degree. But these characters, whether you want to call it evil or the need for power, they've got the tendency to be evil or the, the need for power. It's like a perfect storm of shit that produces people like Bikram, basically. Yeah, and I think that the interesting thing about Bikram is it just clearly is so evil. 
Like yeah. it just clearly is so wrong. And and I think the other thing that a lot of what happens in these worlds is don't judge things, don't call it good or bad. But sometimes surely you do need to call things good or bad. Yeah. Like you said, this aversion to sort of calling something out as bad because you don't want to seem judgmental or whatever. But I'm sorry if someone's a fucking pedophile or a rapist or taking advantage of people, call that shit out. You have to be held accountable. And actually, I think that's part of the manipulation, because if I'm uh, I'm not, <laughs> but if I say if I was in that position and I'm and I'm doing something harmful to you and I say, no, but hold on. It's not spiritual to judge and call things good or bad. It's a way for me to control so that you can't call me out on my behavior. Yep, exactly. So that's one of the tactics that they use. And also, like we said, we've been in positions where we've been vulnerable. Yes. Where you can reserve judgment a bit is in people that fall for these charlatans. No, absolutely. Yeah. Don't ever think that you're immune to this and you'll never be in a position to be taken advantage of by someone everyone's susceptible to being manipulated, but for different things. Yeah. So Bikram knew that if he targeted people that were looking for health, happiness, transcendence, that was his way. This is why education is so important. Why we want to do episodes like this, because if you can start picking up on those red flags earlier, hopefully you might avoid a similar situation. And again, it might not be spiritually that you're taking advantage of. It might be someone trying to take advantage of you emotionally, financially, a combination of it, but there are piss takers fucking everywhere. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think the education aspect of it is really important. So I think in terms of like being aware of spiritual fakes, I think people that have claims of absolute truth or that they can give you all the answers or that if you follow them and their technique, everything's going to be okay. Or if you've seen Bad Vegan, another Netflix documentary. Yes, 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 yes. If you give this guy lots of money, your dog will live forever. To be fair, I love my cat so much that I may be, I may be susceptible to that. I know, <laughs> but that's, that, to be fair, is the one thing where you might be able to really get me. Yeah, yeah. But again, he knew his yeah. victim. He knew his victim. And he knew what would work with her specifically. And it wouldn't have worked on someone else. Yes. Without a dog. <laughs> That's the thing. And I think that the huh, the scary thing in life, but also the empowering thing is there is no actual one person or spiritual system that is going to give you all the answers or totally heal you. This is my perspective or tell you what your life purpose is or tell you how to live your life. And actually, I see the purpose of a good therapist is to guide you to your truth. They don't know. I don't know when I've been in a session with a client. I can't read their mind. (laughs) I can pick up on things that are seemingly obvious or interpret things. What you should be aspiring to do is to guide people to their truth, their authentic selves. So a lot of these spiritual fakes, abusive figures, they're trying to make you dependent on them. And the other thing I was really, I thought was another red flag of spiritual fakes is if they are charging lots and lots of money. So you mentioned Glenn and his mm-hmm. his very generous rates and time. And I looked at obviously, you know, Bikram charges an arm and a leg, which is why he's he, I don't know if he still has got, had all those amazing cars. Another person who I thought was quite interesting, because I did like him when I was younger. I haven't ever read his book, Eckhart Toll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading up about him, he apparently charges up to $1,300 for a five-day retreat which doesn't include the cost of food and accommodation. Oh, I was going to say, if that's including food and accommodation, it's not horrendous. 
That's true. It's not horrendous. That's true. But if it's not including a food accommodation, then it, then we are talking about a very luxurious holiday. Mm, and it can include up to 500 people. Oh, right. Okay. So it's not even like a very sort of personal. No. So if you're telling me there's 12 other people and it's very intimate, what not experience. One on one time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. This is a conference you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And so apparently he's already got a net worth of $15 million. No judgment you know, much respect to his, his grind, but now I can't critique him because in all honesty, I've only watched a few videos really ages ago. I think one of the things that he speaks about is this idea of attachment. So I think he said something about people will look for something else that promises greater fulfillment, that promises to make your incomplete sense of self complete and fill that sense of lack you feel within. So it's all about letting go of attachments. That's fine, but you have a lot of money. <laughs> you seem pretty attached to your millions yeah and I would be too if I yeah. had them no this is something I have in all honesty I don't know where I stand on either because I totally get this logic and this idea that if you're doing some sort of spiritual practice that's to help other people you want to keep it affordable accessible and so forth and that feels like it's in the ethos but then on the other hand if that is your gift just like how a doctor his or her gift or their gift is yes medicine and someone else's gift might be mathematics or whatever. If you have to put decades sometimes of training into something, and if you're in demand, just because you're spiritual, does that mean you can't charge more? I don't really know. But then I do totally agree that there is a limit. Yeah. And when you get someone who's enriching the masses and yet preaching about issuing material possessions, then you have to think like, hang on a minute, you're not really practicing what you preach. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know where I stand. Maybe this is a trigger point because I come from the charity profession. Yeah. And this is a profession where we are very commonly paid much less than equivalent jobs in the private sector. Yeah. I think that's wrong because you want to attract good people and you want to keep those good people and you want to help them develop so that they stay and that the charity sector has the best chance of really making a real strong impact. So I kind of feel like the same in the spiritual world as well. Mm. Like, just because you're practicing a spiritual thing, should you have to live in poverty? No, no. And I, I agree. And I think actually it's, it's also a frustration I share as being a therapist, at least in the UK, we do not get paid that great. And I've often had people say, oh, it's so nice what you do. And I think it's bloody hard. And I've mm-hmm. trained and I've studied and I've acquired skills and all of that. So I'm not against people acquiring wealth from it. I guess the red flag, though, is when it is so extreme. Yeah, for sure. That's it. It's the, well, you can't actually say that you believe in non-attachment if you own five Porsches, for example. It's not to say you can't own one. One Porsche is the limit. Two is the breaking point. One Porsche. (laughs) You should be able to make a living from it at the very least, right? No, absolutely. If that is you, what you want to do and that's how you help people, you should be able to make a comfortable living, I'm even going to say. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's a really good point to highlight because there is a devaluation also of healing professions and helping professions. Yeah. And it doesn't help the profession if people are struggling to survive within it. It's never yeah. a good thing. But for sure, we're talking about the extremists that are charging we're talking, a exactly. crazy amount for... Yeah, and I think it's important to practice what you preach. So actually linking that to the un, being underpaid, you know, if you're doing a helping professional and you're not being paid enough, it's going to take a toll on your mental health and eventually you're probably going to drop out of it. 
yeah one of the things that kind of I don't know if irked me is the right word when I watch a video it's all very calm detached talking and for me personally I have a bit of a negative reaction to that because what I thrive off and what has been my best experience as being a therapist or being in therapy is like someone I can relate to yeah also you can be a lot calmer when you have no money worries (laughs) yes as we probably all know very well (laughs) yeah there are certain red flags pricing is definitely a thing to watch out for to watch out for extremely exorbitant amounts of money yeah is definitely something to watch out for I think a lot of the ones I've spoken I I think Bikram is more obvious I was also reading up about Sadhguru there are theories about how genuine he is and there's there's controversy I was reading about his um Sadhguru he's an Indian yoga guru He's been teaching yoga in southern India since 1982 and established the Isha Foundation, which operates an ashram and yoga center that carry out educational activities. Are we talking about Rajneeshi? Is that also his name or is this a different one? Jagadish Jagi Vasudev is his original name, better than his Sadhguru. Yeah, no, I think it's a different one. Yeah. Oh, nope. Is it a different one? Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's many. <laughs> yeah. I did read about one spiritual fake, though, if I can mention it. Mm. It actually made me laugh and I don't know if it should make me laugh, but um, what made me laugh was more about the tactics that she went through. Who is this? So have you heard of Mrs. Elsie Reynolds? No, I, I already think she sounds fucking weird, but go on. She held seances in the Grand Pacific Hotel in California. Ooh, fan. She was a fake, a fraud. And there was one particular seance in 1906. So this is a while ago. And she was warned there might be an attempt to prove that she was a fake, but she thought she could outsmart people. So she hired a guard to remain in the seance room and watch over the medium's cabinet. Then a woman came in, Salma Savoy, who wanted to communicate with her dead sister. Mrs. Reynolds complied and the guard sat in on the seance. He had a cane in his hand to protect the secrets within the cabinet. As soon as Mrs. Reynolds took on the form of the deceased sister, (laughs) you're laughing already Selma so the woman who came in jumped up and grabbed her a struggle (laughs) so they're fighting and the medium and her guard sorry I can't say it the medium and her guard fought their way out of the main room and into an adjoining room where the police were waiting for them caught in the act of pretending to be a conjured spirit police discovered that Mrs. Reynolds wore numerous different spirit costumes made of white filming material under her dress she was publicly outed as a fraud and the police went to work to gather complaints against her wait so how did they prove she was a fake because she wore billowy white stuff I don't really know that's a very good point I mean she sounds like a fraud but I mean she's that and the fact that she hired the guard yeah (laughs) guard her cabinet I mean what's in the cabinet I don't know. This might be something you want to cut out. I don't know how you No, I'm it. gonna keep it in and we're gonna research it more. I think we need to research it more. It's uh it's quite funny. There is. I love the idea of their little fight. It sounded for a minute like Selma, who came to see the the spiritual, the medium, hated her sister that passed <laughs> and wanted to strangle her for the final time or something, like have a little fisticuffs with her. I have several sisters and I can empathize with Selma. <laughs> did listen to the podcast uh with you and Rhonda and actually when she was speaking about Nancy Reagan mm-hmm. and the, the fact she leaned on advice from Joan Quigley because of the, the trauma she experienced sorry with her husband I think that just really highlighted 
I mean, again, that's quite an extreme case. Many of us yes. will be in a, in a position of controlling the Cold War, but it just showed if you're scared of something, if you're anxious about something, if you're, you know, that level of fear, we've all had it at times, haven't we? When family members have been ill or when we've suffered yeah. a loss or whatever. I mean, you can just see how it would escalate to that point, I think. If money wasn't a concern, if you could just pay, right, without yeah. having to worry about the money side of things, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think that's all I've got to really share about spiritual faith. But I have, I have concluding thoughts. Oh, tell me your final thoughts, like Jerry Springer. <laughs> My final thoughts. So final thoughts. I don't disbelieve in spirituality or the fact that people may have psychic or spiritual powers. However, there's clearly dangers in this world mm-hmm. that people should be aware of. And I think that anyone who's wanting to go to speak to uh, like a psychic or who finds themselves really being taken by a spiritual figure, that's fine. But I think it's really important to ask yourself, is there something difficult in my present or past that I'm trying to avoid or run from? Yeah. Is there something I'm finding too painful to accept and process alone? Sometimes people do need professional help and or medication. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. I would argue that everyone needs counseling. Yeah, 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 exactly. And as we've sort of touched on this, despite the fact that there's so much conversation about mental health, there's still such a stigma around it and then seeking mm-hmm. help. And actually, sometimes it's as, as you literally highlighted, it's more socially acceptable among some circles to go to a psychic or a life coach. Again, nothing wrong, but more acceptable to go to one of those than it is to go to a therapist or a counsellor. So if you are going to see counselling, put the words. Exactly. I I think the more and more people speak about that, it's going to become more socially acceptable. This is my bias because of, I'm training to be a vocal psychotherapist. I'm very much into trauma and the mind-body connection. And I want Gabor Mate to adopt me. It's probably too late to be adopted, but there we go. Um, Just to hold in mind the importance of the mind-body connection. Am I allowed to suggest books that people should read? Yeah, of course. We'll put them in the show notes. So I really recommend reading Bessel van der Kolk's Body Keeps the Score. And Gabble Mate is when the body says no. Yeah, again, not rejecting spirituality or anyone with spiritual powers, but but please also don't reject medicine and therapy and other things. Yeah, we'd love to hear your experiences. Mm. If you've ever been sucked in by someone, no shame. They're fucking professionals at what they do. Yeah, we're all putting our hands up. You know, we've all, I'm sure, not managed to get through life to the age that we have without being yeah. if not spiritually then definitely emotionally sucked in by someone yes yes that was absolutely amazing I'm so pleased to have you I'm gonna to have to have you come back because for sure we need to do an episode on the Fibonacci sequence I'd love to do that I'd love to come back I've really enjoyed it <laughs> thank you and you are fantastic and we will see you soon thank you everyone for listening thank you Safia for coming along and speaking to us see you next time Bye. bye If you want lots more fun, moon info, and all things spiritual, plus our merch shop, please visit our website, weknewthemoon.co.uk. And if you want even more, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash weknewthemoon, and check out some of our bonus content. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at we.new.the.moon, and we're also on Twitter at weknewthemoon1. See you next time!